Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Here to continue our Chasing After the Wind series, let's welcome Heather Kamira. <laughs> Well, good evening. Good to see you guys. Yeah, a little shout out tonight. Uh, I have my brother here and my sister-in-law. Woo, woo. So glad they're with us, glad you're with us, especially those that are joining us online. We're really glad that you're joining us. Uh, we are coming to the end of our series. Coming, not yet, in a couple weeks. <laughs> but our series, Chasing After the Wind, which is our series we've been doing on the book of Ecclesiastes. And this week, we're looking at a collection of Proverbs at the end of chapter nine, and then all the way through chapter 10. But first, before we get started, before we jump in, I want you to think of some old sayings that you grew up with. Those little tidbits of advice, things that you only ever heard your grandparents or your parents say, sayings or proverbs like these, and I'm sure you're thinking of lots of them coming to mind right now, the, many of these sayings and proverbs, these are pretty universal throughout history. Virtually every society we know has had their own set of proverbs. And for us, it could be a variety of things, right? It could be things like, look before you leap, or haste makes waste. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, I mean, it goes and goes, right? Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Necessity is the mother of invention. These aren't just silly sayings, and I know they're kind of silly, but they're not just silly sayings. They actually have some truth behind them, and that's, that's, that's what Proverbs are. Proverbs are written to impart wisdom, wisdom that is passed down through the ages to help us address all the different things that life can throw at us. And even though I know that wisdom is not necessarily a word that we use a lot now today, it is still very, very relevant in our lives. Very relevant. Wisdom really just has to do with living life well. Living life well. It's skill in living. Just think of it as skill in living. Who doesn't want more skill and living this life, amen, right? We all want that. We want to be able to navigate the complexities of our relationships. We want to be able to navigate our jobs and, and our finances well. We want to be able to navigate our families and our kids well. We need more wisdom in this life. We do. We need more of it. And it absolutely does not have to do with how smart you are, thank God. <laughs> it doesn't, I mean, you can be absolutely brilliant and be utterly clueless when it comes to how to live life well. I mean, we see it a lot. And I think this is why self-help shows and self-help books and all those podcasts just keep growing, right? Because we crave, we crave advice from people who seem to know how to successfully navigate the complexities of life and relationships well. We crave that. <laughs> but how, how do we really gain true wisdom? Is it 
just something that we can read? Is it just something that we can buy off a shelf or subscribe to? I believe that true wisdom is not actually a matter of education, and it's not even a matter of experience. I really believe that if you want wisdom, it's got to begin with your relationship with God. Absolutely. I think the real question is, is your relationship with God the central thing in your life around which everything else is oriented? As we said before in this series, Ecclesiastes is written as wisdom literature. It's one of the three in the Bible, along with Proverbs and along with the book of Job, great books. But all three of these books address this theme of wisdom and of living life well. And the Proverbs that are found in these three books, we realize real quickly, don't make a lot of sense <laughs> when we read them. And they especially don't make a lot of sense, or they won't go too far in our lives, if we are not grounded in Jesus. He's the one who really brings them to life. And the other thing I want to say is they don't also make much sense by themselves, do they? And this is a danger. Many people actually make this mistake. Who here has a mug that has a proverb on it, you know? <laughs> we just pull that one verse right out of there, and we think it's the end all on that subject. <laughs> But no one proverb contains the whole truth. And there's a lot of overlap. Each has a distinct perspective, and, and we see this throughout Scripture. We are meant to look at Scripture, not just interpreted on one verse alone, right? But it is so important that we look at each part in light of the whole, right? The whole of Scripture. See, one of the reasons why I think actually that Ecclesiastes can be so mystifying at times is because we just read Ecclesiastes. And we don't think about how it also is mirrored. These same Proverbs are mirrored throughout Proverbs and the book of Job. See, I think that we need all three wisdom books to really get a full, multidimensional view of wisdom. Just look at one book or one proverb, and you're not going to get the complete picture. As a whole, we can see so much clearer the view of what God intended. As we've said before, most of Ecclesiastes is written from the perspective of who we call the teacher or the preacher, which we think is possibly Solomon or a Solomon-like figure, and he has tried this path of wisdom, hasn't he? We've seen this. He's walked all the way down the road, all the way down, and he's figured out that this too is what? Meaningless. This too is meaningless, one of his favorite words, right? And not without meaning, that's not what that means. Doesn't mean that wisdom doesn't have any meaning. It means that it doesn't give us meaning. It doesn't give us meaning. We need something or someone more in this life. So today, we see this teacher speaking about wisdom in a much more positive light. Thank goodness, right? <laughs> It's nice when that happens in this book. He reiterates really what the book of Proverbs says, which is wisdom is good, guys. Wisdom's good. And if you have it, well, you know, things will probably go better for you. But, of course, he has to do this. He takes it one step further, and he says, well, but just because you're wise, though, 
Just because you're wise and you make wise choices doesn't mean that your life's going to automatically work out and be great. You know, it helps, but it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. In our passage today, the teacher he talks about a couple different areas where wisdom is really needed in life. He uses the wise man. He uses the foolish man to kind of illustrate. The wisdom, the wisdom's importance here, and and as expected, he includes some you know grounding reality checks along the way. <laughs> But this is a very disjointed passage. If you actually read it from top to bottom, it jumps back and forth from proverb to story to comparison to exhortation. Scholars actually say that of all the passages in Ecclesiastes, this one is probably the most difficult to interpret and preach. So, there we go. I have grouped today's talk into four Ws to try to make it make sense a little bit: war, work, words, and warnings. But first, let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit. Well, God, we do. We just、uh, come before you and we ask. We ask humbly, would you come? Would you meet us here today, God? We we do. We long for wisdom. We long to live life well. But we we ask that as we open the Word, that you would soften our hearts to hear what you have to say to us today, God. And would you, by your grace, just make yourself known to us? That's what we need. And I, I just、uh, just say, Lord, I don't know what people are carrying in this room tonight, but Lord, we just lay it before you. And we say, "Come, just bring your grace. Bring your grace. Would you just guide my words tonight in the name of Jesus? Amen. Amen." Well, like I said, our passage is in Ecclesiastes nine thirteen through ten twenty. It's a pretty big chunk, and it starts with a story. That's kind of nice, right?、It、starts with a story of someone wise who's actually wise, and it's laid out in detail. It's actually something that we think the teacher probably saw happen himself.、Uh, it's maybe even a, an accurate historical event. We read in verse 13. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, "Wisdom is better than strength." We don't know what this poor and wise man did to save the city. I am seriously curious what he did or said that saved his small town, but. Whatever he did, this wisdom had obviously a really big impact. And even though the city only had few people, few men, and even though there were really big weapons that were powerful coming against them, and and I mean, he really wasn't even a person of any kind of influence. His wisdom, though, was enough to save the whole city. I mean, that that's pretty cool. And is, so we see here, this is not by might or not by strength. Or lots of weapons, right? But through wisdom, and that's our first W.、Uh, we're looking at right here is we're looking at the the W war. The theme of war, or the struggle for strength and power. That's what I want you to think of: the struggle of strength for strength and power. It's repeated in different ways throughout this passage. 
Like today, there is a battle for power and influence in our world, isn't there? And we see it here too. It's nothing new. It's just as backwards and as frustrating as it was then. But what we see is that with wisdom, our perspective of the battle changes. Therefore, it changes our strategies in how we respond to it. In chapter 10, verses four through seven, it actually says, "If a ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post." Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil I've seen under the sun—the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions, while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback, while princes go on foot like slaves. Yeah, I think we all know too well the reality of living under foolish rulers in positions of power, right? But what should be our Response to the tug of war for power in this world. What the teacher says here is, guys, like, don't leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. And I think this actually really applies to how we lead and also how we follow. He says, wisdom is better than strength. When we face problems in life, no matter. How large or small the war or struggle might be, whether at work or, or at home in our families, we can either address it in a couple different ways. One is through strength, right? One is through strength, through brute force, right? Brute force, like working harder at it, or throwing more resources at it, or trying to fix it or control it. But wisdom. Wisdom actually fundamentally changes how we even see the struggles. It enables us to think more strategically. Instead of reacting or running from our post, we can pause and ask God to show us the root of the issue, to see influences or to see strategies we might not see apart from God's insight into that situation. I remember a time actually when Eden, my、uh, oldest daughter, when she was younger, where we were butting heads. Ever been in that phase? Yeah.、Mm-hmm. And everything was a meltdown. Everything was a struggle. It was my own little war front. That was my little war front at the time. And I'd already tried brute force. And if you know kids, well, that just doesn't work. You can't tell them to calm down. They just usually get louder. In desperation, I remember praying and asking God, "How do I do this? How do I do this?" And I remember what went through my mind out of nowhere: this question, "When's the last time you got down on her level and played with her?" And I thought, "Oh boy, that's God. That has to be. That has to be the Lord, because..." He saw the root of the problem, and the root of the problem was really me. It was me. So that next morning, I poured a cup of coffee for me and a cup of tea for her, and we sat down on the living room floor and had tea time. And something changed, not through brute force, but day by day by day, showing up, keeping my post. With calmness pouring 
into the little empty cup in front of me, which is my daughter. And boy, how things changed in me and in her. You know, there is a call here to calmness and self-control in the face of struggle. And how incredibly needed is that today? Amen? How incredibly needed is that today? We might not be in positions of power, but we can control how we respond, how we respond to the chaos around us. Ours is a culture, as you well know, that feeds off of rage and off of conflict. But for us who follow Jesus, we should be people that are distinct, distinct in the way that we respond to the wars of controversy around us, right? Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says, do everything, oh boy, <laughs> without crumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. Boy, that bar, that bar's actually not that high. I mean, it says what? Don't complain, don't argue. But believe me, if you do that, If you do that, you will stand out. <laughs> you will stand out because it's not normal. Is that, and I know this does not minimize uh, the role that we play or the engagement that we have and the struggles around us, quite the opposite. But what it does is it allows us to move forward in wisdom and not in reaction and giving into foolish ranting and raging about the things that are already inflaming this world. When we look at Jesus, what do we see? We actually see him do exactly what Ecclesiastes tells us to do here. Angry rulers rose against him. They were foolish men who treated him with angry contempt until finally they crucified him. Yet Jesus refused to leave his place of service or to fight anger with anger. Instead, he calmly did the work that he was called to do. It says, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly as God. By his calm response and by his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus laid great cosmic offenses to rest even forgiving the men who crucified him. Man. Well, the second theme that we see in this passage is the area of work, which I know that we've already discussed a little bit already in our series, but I want to briefly look at what it says here, because wisdom can really change our effort, like what we put our effort into. Chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Oh, that's nice. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Oh, boy. Whoever quarries stone may be injured by them. Boy, blue-collar workers, man. This is, this is rough stuff. Okay. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. And if an axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed. But skill, skill will bring success. You know, I think we all know that wisdom is essential in our work, in our jobs, and in our careers. And here we see this illustration where someone's trying to chop wood with a dull axe. 
Sure. Yeah, I'm sure you could. I mean, you just have to hack a little harder, right? But what happens is not only do you exhaust yourself, but you actually endanger yourself too. It's actually really dangerous to do that. And the teacher, obviously, he suggests here, guys, you know, maybe a little wisdom would help.、Uh, maybe pause and sharpen your axe. What we would say today is things like work smarter, not harder. Right? That's like a saying we would say. Are we? Just pushing through. Are we just going through the motions? Are we punching our time card, or are we approaching our work thoughtfully? We all know people who keep flailing away at their work, only to be utterly exhausted and sometimes even hurt themselves and those they love. In chapter 10, verse 15, it says, "The toil of fools wearies them." They do not know the way to town, <laughs> which really means they they just don't know the right way. They don't know the right way. I mean, it's a good thing to ask ourselves: Are we blowing past our limits? Are we blowing past past our limits at work? Are we demands? Are the demands of our business stopping us from evaluating what's right and good? Maybe we can't do it all. Heaven forbid. <laughs> Maybe we're not as wise as we think we are. Maybe I need to stop throwing just more time and energy into it, and I need to step back and ask God what He thinks about how I'm working and what I'm doing. And I think there's a real danger in just going through the motions without stopping once in a while to assess our work and our jobs with wisdom. And you know, like the teacher Jesus. He has a parable where he tells the difference between you know wisdom and folly when it comes to this, and he tells it in Matthew seven about the wise man who builds his house on a rock. Now, obviously, you know the storm comes and rages, and because he has his foundation on the rock, it does not fall. His house does not fall. But then here's the the foolish man who's so much less fortunate because he builds his house on sand. Right and, and and of course the winds come and the storms come and and it falls with a great crash. I think how we work, it really boils down to what our foundation is on. It boils down to whether or not we're trying to gain more money or more success or more respect in the eyes of others. Because if that's true, those are really ruthless and cruel masters. But if we entrust our careers and our jobs to Jesus, and as we walk with Him, we become these people of wisdom—not people of tireless effort—but we come to work from a place of security, not looking for security from our work. You see, words are the the third the third W that we want to look at here, the third theme, and words. Is really what we're talking about in this passage is how wisdom changes changes who we listen to. In chapters nine, verses seventeen, the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a, fool, a ruler of fools. And then chapter ten, verses twelve through fourteen, words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly, and at the end, they are wicked madness. And fools multiply words. No one knows what's coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? Just consider for a second the the rise. Who rises to prominence and fame in our day? Just think about it. You know, usually it's the loudest voices, 
the ones that have the largest followings. But just because they're loud and they're popular, obviously, does not mean that they are wise. And we're we are called here to consider who we tune into. It's really important because it has a great effect in our lives. They call them influencers for a reason, right? They call them influencers. But think back in your life. Just think back in your life. If I was to ask you, who has been the greatest influence in your life? I bet you wouldn't say somebody that's popular or somebody I'd even know or someone I've ever even met. For me, it'd be my mom. My mom is not famous. At all, but you might, and you might not know who she is. She's here tonight. You can say hi later. No, <laughs> but to me, to me, she has made an incredible mark in my life. The way that she's lived and, and the words she's spoken into my life have been so incredibly influential. And I'm sure that's the same for you, right? These are the people that really have impact. And yet, I think there are so many and almost too many voices in our lives today. If you're on social media, just forgive me for a second, but I think that we might have more voices and more influencers than we actually need and or is good for us. Amen. <laughs> It's just we're onslaughted with constant, constant just noise <laughs> and input. We need to be careful. I want you to hear this. We need to be careful that we are not overconfident in our ability to parse out what is wise and what is foolish. We need to be careful. I think the key to wisdom is to first have a little bit of humility, amen? That we might be more unaware about the influences in our lives than we think. Charles Spurgeon actually says the doorstep to the temple of wisdom is the knowledge of our own ignorance. That's good. That's good. You know, we need to be aware that, that we're probably not as wise as we think we are, and we need Jesus. We need Jesus to open our eyes and to reveal the hidden influencers in our life. We need that. I remember a season where God had called me actually to give up uh, Pinterest. Anyone here a Pinterest fan? Woo. I know it's silly. I know it's silly. And at the time, I thought it was kind of stupid too. But at the same time, I was actually realizing that <laughs> um, uh, my credit card debt was um, increasing <laughs> and getting a little higher than normal. And uh, only after the fact, like give it a week or two, and God finally starts to show me that all that inspiration I was looking at and all those ads I was listening to was actually unconsciously driving my spending habits. <laughs> Not that I wasn't responsible or that I didn't have some consequences I had to deal with, but in his wisdom, he spared me from a cycle of overspending. Not by telling me, and this is important, not by telling me, Heather, You've got to stop spending. You know, you've got to try harder not to spend so much. It's not what he said. He actually addressed the root. He addressed the root, and he cut off the thing I was listening to, the thing I was listening to, what I was putting my attention toward. You know, maybe we need to step back and evaluate what we take in on a daily basis. Maybe for you, it's the first thing you do in the morning. Just look at the first thing you listen to in the morning. What is it? Because we know that that can actually have really great effect on the rest of our day. Maybe instead of listening to the news or scrolling online or checking the weather first thing, consider a new practice of starting your day by listening to Jesus. 
And what I have done in the past, and what I especially did when I was struggling with postpartum anxiety, was every morning I had to do this. Every morning I would listen to my little devotional on my phone before I would look at anything online, before I'd log into anything. I had to center my mind and my heart back on the truth. I had to, and, and that's what's so beautiful about the Word of God. Is that's what it does. It reorders our attentions and our hearts, and and it consciously we're able to consciously invite Jesus into the rest of our day. The last W I want to talk about is warnings, and I see that lastly here the teacher he is evening the scales, and he's bringing, of course, like he does, a little dose of reality. And he's saying, yeah, wisdom's good, but don't depend on it. It's not a formula. Sure, it helps, but it's not a guarantee. So let's look at these last two warnings and how wisdom can actually change our expectations. And the first one is this: living a life of wisdom doesn't guarantee the world's appreciation or applause. And the story that we actually read earlier, it ends like this in verses 15 and 16 in chapter nine. Now, there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. I mean, his wisdom was enough to save an entire city. But then. It's not all good news. Nobody actually remembers this guy. No one remembers him. And as soon as the danger passes, he's forgotten. And even worse, his wisdom is forgotten and despised. Even that's that's pretty strong language. I mean, this man had made a real difference, but he also goes unnoticed, unappreciated, and unrewarded. And here the teacher is telling us, yeah, pursue wisdom, but don't expect that just because you think you're wise means everybody's going to want to hear what you have to say, <laughs> right? That everyone will appreciate you, that they'll even really hear what you're saying as wisdom. You know, we need to remember that the value system of this world is very different. And in First Corinthians one twenty-seven, it says, "But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise." God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Our hearts, our hearts need to be set on not the applause of people, but the applause of God. Amen. Like, what does God think about what I'm doing right now? What is He saying about my attitude and what's coming out of my mouth and how I'm reacting? Would He be pleased with what He sees? You know what this is called? It's called fear of the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord. Proverbs one seven. It says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction." See, the fear of the Lord is caring more about what He thinks about us. That's the key to gaining wisdom. That's the key. It binds our heart to His. It binds our hearts to His, and we, over time, change. We actually become. Wise people, as we walk with Jesus, we see the things that He starts to see, and the way He sees it, and and he, as He shows us His heart, we gain His heart for the world. And I mean, just think when you read this little story here, who comes to mind? Who does it remind you of when you hear of that poor man, full of wisdom, who became a savior? 
but whose life and teaching was then rejected. That's Jesus. That's Jesus right there. You know, wisdom is ultimately not just a concept or a great idea or a thing. It is a person. Wisdom is a person. It's Jesus himself. That's who we have to cling to. As the worship team comes back up, I want us to look at the last warning. And this is, this is a hard one. I want to look at the last warning. Living a life of wisdom doesn't guarantee that you won't ever struggle. Well, then what's the point, right? <laughs> if it doesn't mean that I won't struggle, then, well, come on. Like, do I just give this all up? No. Well, you can almost, you can see this in chapter 10, verse 1, in a vivid a vivid uh, illustration. It says, as dead flies give perfume a bad smell. What? So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. You can almost smell this verse, right? <laughs> Reading it. Uh, but, but think about it. Perfume back in that day was a symbol of costly luxury. So don't think about some cheap axe body spray. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about like $1,000 perfume here. In other words, a little folly can outweigh a lot of wisdom. Oh, that's hard. That's hard. See, one foolish decision can affect our whole life, right? I mean, that is just so true. On this side of heaven, there is tension and there is struggle. And I know, like I said, it's, it's easy to want to say, well, then what's the point, right? Uh, but this is what I love about God. And what I love, even about the scriptures and Ecclesiastes, is that it holds the tension of what is true and what is good and what is right with what is our lived experience, which isn't always good, right? It isn't always like that. And he calls us, he still calls us to fear God. He still calls us to walk in wisdom without avoiding the reality of the complexities or the jarring unpredictability of this world. We see it right here. Not everything needs to be tied up in a pretty bow. Oh, I need to hear that. I need to hear that. And I know that it's hard for us because we don't like stinky. We don't. We want to hide it, right? We want to put perfume on it. We want to put bows on it. We want to put lipstick on that pig. You know, like we do not like stinky. We don't. It feels shameful, doesn't it? Feel shameful. Some of our pasts in this room are stinky, and maybe not because of something you did, maybe because of something that happened to you, okay? Something was done to you. And then some of us, we have stuff in our lives that we're actively trying to hide. <laughs> we're actively trying to hide, but it stinks. It stinks. And we keep justifying it, and we keep wrapping it up in a bow. Can I just say something? both to myself and to you as my dear brothers and sisters. If it's being done in the dark, if it's hidden, if it's being done in secret, would you stop rationalizing it? And would you take the precious gift of confession and would you go to a dear, trusted friend or a pastor and would you confess it? Would you bring it into the light? Because I, and I know God, wants freedom for you. He wants freedom for you in that area of your life. Guys, we all struggle. I struggle, and I know you do. We all struggle, but there is, there is this beauty in it. 
There's this beauty in it. And I think Timothy Keller, he says it the best, as he usually does. The gospel, right? The good news is this, that we are. We're actually more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and more accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We need to hear that over and over and over again. That's the gospel right here. And if you are here tonight, if you are here tonight and you didn't know that Jesus actually wants to guide your life, that you don't have to navigate this thing alone, that all you have to do is ask. Because that's what he says. You want wisdom? Just ask. You want me? Just ask. Just ask tonight. What would it look like for you to follow him and his wisdom and try, instead of trying to figure it all out on your own? I mean, good luck, right? We've all tried. If that's you, I, I so encourage you not only to, to pray and ask Christ into your life tonight. Do it tonight while we worship in this, these last couple songs. Ask him into your life. But, but I would encourage you to come forward tonight and have someone pray for you. Have someone bless that decision. Why don't we just go ahead and stand? The rest of us, let's all stand. We're gonna, we're gonna do that. We're gonna go back into a time of worship now. And, and for the rest of us, um, like I said, we all struggle, amen? <laughs> we all struggle. And in this time while we're worshiping, just be asking the Lord, God, would you give me your perspective in this struggle? Would you be giving me your perspective in this struggle? Let's worship and then I'll come back up. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.